0: got a very unusual mix of religious beliefs.
1: Yeah, Haiti's about 30% Protestant and 70% Catholic, but almost 100% voodoo.
0: Did you know that during Papa Doc's reign of terror, the Lord's Prayer was rewritten and people had to recite it differently?
1: Uh, no, R- rewritten how?
0: Our dog, who art in the National Palace for Life, hallowed be thy name by present and future generations. They will be done in Port-au-Prince as it is in the provinces. Give us this day our new Haiti, and forgive not the trespasses of those anti-patriots who daily spit <laughs> upon our country.
1: <laughs> oh, man, it sounds like he was trying to make Haiti great again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello, Guby friends, I'm Sandra.
1: And I'm Tyler.
0: Welcome to Dubious. if you're a first-time listener, and welcome back to our podcast if you've been listening to the crazy stories we bring you each week.
1: Either way, we're happy you're here as we take you on a tour of dark magic, fantasy, and a murderous dictator.
0: Today we are talking about Haiti and François Duvalier, a.k.a. Papadoc, one of the most ruthless dictators in history. He was a medical doctor educated in Michigan in the United States who then used voodoo and his own Wagner-type militia called the Tonton Makut to spread terror and unimaginable violence to consolidate power.
1: Duvalier once said, the Haitian people are made to suffer. Well, he certainly made sure of that. And after a diabetic coma, Papadok woke up claiming to be the reincarnation of an immortal spirit named Baron Samdi and said bullets can't hurt him. He bathed with his top hat on and talked to the decapitated heads of his enemies while in the bathtub.
0: And he had a torture chamber right outside his apartment in the presidential palace. Brace yourselves, some parts of this episode are graphic descriptions of murders or violence in general, so discretion is advised.
1: Let's start with a very brief history of Haiti as it's relevant to Papadoc's rise to power. In a strategic spot geopolitically, in the Caribbean, Haiti occupies the western third of the island of Hispaniola, with the Dominican Republic in the eastern two-thirds. Haiti is currently the poorest country in the western hemisphere.
0: By comparison, if you're born in Haiti, you're 2.5 times more likely to die as a baby than if you're born in the Dominican Republic, and you'll be almost 10 times poorer and your life expectancy will be much lower than if you'd be in the Dominican Republic. It's a massive disparity between the two nations who inhabit the same piece of land basically, and mind you, the Dominican Republic is not like a very rich country by any stretch of the imagination.
1: When Columbus landed on the island of Hispaniola on December 6th, 1492, this land was ruled by a Cacique or Taino Indian chief. After the French arrived in the 17th century, the indigenous population was largely exterminated.
0: As a result, Africans, primarily from West Africa, were imported as slave labor to produce raw goods for international trade. Haiti was France's richest colony in the 18th century. It was so fertile and so rich that it was known as the Pearl of the Antilles.
1: But a lot of the people they brought and enslaved were from the Congo, a region torn by wars. So many of these slaves had military experience and they were all united and revolted against the French. When the French Empire was at its most powerful from 1791 to
0: 1804, and they won. I mean, f- around, find out. <laughs> <laughs> Haiti became the first slave colony to overthrow its masters, the first free black republic in the world. And thanks to the Haitian people, Napoleon Bonaparte, who was running out of money as he was at war with Britain as well at the time, was forced to sell Louisiana to the United States in 1803, resulting in a massive territorial expansion for the United States.
1: That's an understatement. The U.S. basically doubled in size.
0: Exactly. So, you know, when these Haitian families fleeing their native country, which in the meantime became a failed state thanks to US interventions there, among other things as well, and when they travel through the Darien Pass, one of the most dangerous journeys one can ever take, and they try to come here, let's just keep in mind that we have a moral duty to not mistreat these people and, you know, dehumanize them.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. We actually talked about the Darien Pass in the Hero Dog Wilson and the Children Who Survived 40 Days in the Jungle episode.
0: Yes, so you know, when people complain about migrants from Haiti and South America, they should consider that without Haitians, the United States would be half of what it is today from a territorial point of view.
1: Right. So when Haitians took their independence in 1804, they changed their colonial name from Saint-Domingue, the name given to them by the French to its Taino name of Haiti or Aiti in Creole.
0: And at that point, the world powers were shunning Haiti. Nobody recognized them as a nation because none of these world powers wanted their colonies and their slaves to revolt, right? I mean, think about it, Haiti was at this point an inspiration for black slaves in southern states. So the British, the French, obviously, and the United States blockaded Haiti economically and diplomatically and were threatening to occupy Haiti again. And that made the Haitian leaders use the minimal financial resources they had on military defenses at the expense of other investments in economy, public health, or education.
1: It's a vicious circle. Haiti ended up with a chain of leaders who were trying to balance an now-poor population's needs and increasing unrest and the pressure from the outside. In 1825, French ships started showing up on the East Coast. The French sent a representative with a message from the king. It was an ultimatum. Pay the former plantation owners for their lost property or face invasion. So Boyer, the Haitian president, realizing that Haiti can't be at war again for another 12 to 13 years like they were when they freed themselves decided to pay.
0: I mean, the nerve the French had, asking reparations from the people they enslaved and used and built fortunes on the backs of. Insane, it's insane, it's insanity. But the Haitians had to pay 150 million francs. Massive amount for that time. Massive, it's over $30 billion in today's currency.
1: And to be able to pay this sum to the French plantation owners, Haiti had to take predatory loans from, you guessed it, the French banks. Naturally, the debt amount became much, much greater, and for a nascent country with a very weak economy, already because of the military investments, this was a disaster.
0: This debt took 122 years to settle, and up until 1914, about 80% of the government's budget went to paying the French. Crazy. The US also had a big part in this. On December 7, 1914, US Marines arrived in Port au Prince on the USS Machias. They entered the harbor, disembarked, they walked into Haiti's National Bank, took $15 million worth of gold, loaded it on the warship, and went back to New York.
1: That sounds like a government sponsored bank <laughs> heist. <laughs>
0: Was. So long story short, thanks in big part to the world's most powerful countries, Haiti is now a failed state, and they had to deal with that massive earthquake in 2010 as well, it killed over 300,000 people. There are people being burned alive in the streets, the United Nations said that most of the country and the capital is ruled by gangs, And in early 2023, 807 people were killed or lynched, 620 people were kidnapped, and 120,000 people were internally displaced in Haiti. It's a disaster. And in April, the last 10 remaining senators in Haiti's parliament left office, so there was not a single democratically elected government official in Haiti. It's chaos. On top of all of this, Haitians are dealing with famine, fuel shortages, cholera, and other diseases. It's an almost Total collapse of the state. I mean, there is no state left, basically. The situation is extremely volatile there.
1: It got so bad that the Russian four hire paramilitary group Wagner, led by none other than Yevgeny Prigozhin, offered to. Help.
0: Yeah, right before he also offered to like invade Moscow, but he failed. But anyway, his help, you know, is code for offered to pillage and extract more resources amid the chaos in Haiti because that's what they do in Africa, for example, with the diamond mines and everywhere Wagner goes, they just destroy things. Exactly.
1: So, how does Francois Duvalier, better known as Papa Doc, play into Haiti's history? Why is his legacy one of violence and voodoo fueled bloodshed?
0: Want to make a podcast like we do? Well, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works.
1: Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today.
0: Yes, guys, from your phone, you can be on the couch cuddling with your pets and working on your podcast at the same time. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard.
1: Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get people talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions.
0: And best of
1: all, it's totally free, no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel we finally have options and you could too. You could do a video podcast and Q&A listener polls even. If you want to have your own podcast, we highly recommend you give Spotify for Podcasters a try.
0: Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Well, there is no consensus as to which leader or moment in Haiti's history caused the country to cascade into the anarchy and chaos happening now. Is it the assassination of President Jovenel Moïse in 2021 by the Colombian mercenaries? Is it the earthquake that pushed the country on the brink of collapse? Is it Haiti's early history? Is it Papadoc? I think it's all of it, but François Duvalier, Papa Doc, played the central role in all of this.
1: This is a man who ruled Haiti with an iron fist from 1957 to 1971. He took advantage of racial tensions and inequality and became the undisputed dictator for 30 years. And then he progressed from the hero of the poor to believing that he transcended beyond mortality. He claimed to be a powerful voodoo god who could summon demons to assist him.
0: François Duvalier was a monster, responsible for the deaths of over 60,000 people and the reign of terror that, undeniably, still echoes through Haiti today.
1: François Duvalier was born in 1907 to a black middle-class family in Port-au-Prince. And no, he didn't have a bad or abusive childhood that could explain his future behaviors. He had a normal life, was loved by his parents, nothing out of the ordinary.
0: But in July 1915, when he was 8 years old, the United States invaded and occupied Haiti. I think that was the first time Duvalier, as a child, went through a transformative moment that would partly shape his life. I mean, Germany was hoping at the time to occupy Haiti, but the Americans couldn't let them have Espaniola, because just like Cuba, Haiti and the Dominican Republic are strategically positioned, very important for our foreign policy stuff and what we want to do and our goals in the region. So the U.S. stayed in Haiti for 20 years, and those were two decades of horrible abuses of all kinds, a complete nightmare for the Haitian people.
1: And the Americans, just like the French occupiers before them, took advantage of these small countries in all of those ways. By the way, did you know what the French plantation owners were calling themselves during colonial times? What? Les Grands Blancs. The Great Whites.
0: Wow. I mean, (laughs) at least they are honest. They knew they were predators, like white predators. But it's unfair to the sharks, though. They don't exploit anyone, the sharks. They're, I don't know.
1: They just eat people.
0: Yeah, but like very few people. And we go into their homes. The ocean is their home. So, mm. I like sharks. Anyway, Francois Duvalier grew up under American occupation, very aware of his country's history and its former riches.
1: Remember, Saint-Domingue was, before the western blockade, the most prosperous colony in France's entire empire. It produced 60% of the world's coffee and 40% of the sugar consumed in France and Britain. And Haiti is a small country.
0: Duvalier was also aware of the class system. We won't go into much historical detail, but the French plantation owners obviously had children with their slaves, and a new class kind of emerged the Haitian mulatto class. That's how the Haitians call the European African mixed race. The mulattoes had slaves of their own in the past, so they're not exactly like the rest of the Haitians, but they were not like the white people either. And I think almost all the presidents up to Francois Duvalier were mulatto in a country where over 90% of the population was
1: black in 1934 francois duvalier finished medical school and got his medical degree in haiti 1934 is also the year when after 20 years of occupation the us left haiti but continued to control its public finances taking 40 percent of haiti's income for debt repayments to the us itself long story we won't go into it but everybody gets the idea more pillaging by a superpower of an exploitable nation
0: And 10 years later, in 1944, despite his deep-rooted and, let's be honest, justified dislike for the country, Duvalier went to study public health medicine in the United States. He graduated from the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Michigan on a scholarship that was meant to train black doctors from the Caribbean to take care of African-American servicemen during World
1: War II. Wow, that sounds like classic American racism.
0: I know, right? But then again, we were founded as a slave-owning racist country. We had the three-fifths clause in our constitution. Article 1, Section 2 said that any person who was not free, aka the black enslaved people, would be counted as three-fifths of a free individual, so of a white person, for the purposes of determining congressional representation. So in
1: 1945, Francois returned to Haiti, bringing with him a miracle drug, penicillin. And at this point in his life duvalier was a young educated haitian doctor who wanted to eradicate yaz from rural haiti yaz is a chronic highly infectious and disfiguring skin condition
0: it's horrible i did a small goog, and it's the stuff of nightmares it spreads through touch so super fast you know it makes your skin burst into ulcers and yellowish lumps filled with and as the disease progresses, it affects not only just, you know, the skin, but also the cartilage and the bones of the patient. So anyway, the point is antibiotics work like a charm and yours gets cured fast with penicillin, for example. So our boy, Francois Duvalier, decided to help all the people suffering from Yoz and begin a sort of a doctor's pilgrimage, I guess.
1: Yeah. And at this point, the work he was doing was admirable. He traveled to very remote, very poor areas of Haiti on foot through harsh terrain, reaching even the most isolated villages and treating these people. This was a guy who grew up in a city, he had a middle class life, so it's the first time he ever gets to see how the poorest of Haitians lived. And he kept working to save Haiti, he went from village to village and truly helped hundreds if not thousands of people.
0: And he became a phenomenon among Haitians. I mean, they loved him and his kind, fatherly demeanor and his healing hands, and they started calling him Papa Doc. During this time, Duvalier's fascination with African religious voodoo heritage slowly, but surely, grew into an obsession.
1: And this is where all the red flags are up and our dubimeter alarms go off.
0: Haiti's religious makeup is a combination of African animistic religions and colonial Christianity. This is the case in most former slave colonies. The people kidnapped and enslaved by the French from Africa and shipped to the Caribbean brought with them their traditions, culture, and beliefs to Hispaniola, and then, as usual, they were converted to Catholicism by force, just like the United States did with its slaves, converting them to Christianity, also by force. It's textbook.
1: The Bible has clear passages about how slaves should obey their owners. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. King James Bible, Genesis 9, 18-27
0: Of course the Bible says all that. I mean, there's also the curse of Ham, where Canaan was intentionally dropped from the story, Ham was made black, and his descendants were made Africans. Too bad people don't actually read the Bible or the Quran in their entirety. They'd be shocked, not only about the slavery parts, but also the killing of men who lieth with men parts, the killing of men and women who dress like the opposite sex parts, and the many other horrors. Anyway, these hateful things don't come out of nowhere in society. It's all from the Abrahamic religions, Christianity and Islam, But, you know, that's for another episode, back to our voodoo now.
1: Yes, spelled V-O-D-O-U, the Kray version of West African voodoo is the only traditional African religion which survived in the New World. The word itself actually comes from Vodun, that is the African term and voodoo means spirit or deity.
0: Vodun survived and meshed with the Catholicism forced upon Haitians because it had some common elements to Christianity. You know, all religions have a few similar components, a storyline that, while different, it does have common points. For example, voodoo and Christianity are essentially monotheistic religions which recognize one single supreme spiritual entity or god.
1: Right. In voodoo, this main deity does not get involved with the lives of humans and is not concerned with the earthly world, but there are numerous lua which are powerful spirits that followers of voodoo can pray to. So the enslaved Africans brought to Saint domingue saw a big similarity between these Lois and the saints in Catholicism.
0: Right, so to them it kind of felt like okay, like this saint could be this lost spirit, and this saint could be this other one. So they felt like they can still keep their own beliefs, which did not include slavery, by the way, but also merge these beliefs with Catholicism. Nevertheless, like we said in the intro, no matter what kind of official religion Haitians have, Protestant, Catholic, Baptist, or whatever the case, all Haitians were, and for the most part, still are, almost 100% voodoo.
1: So it was during this time in rural Haiti that Duvalier saw firsthand just how voodoo ruled the everyday lives of the people. And he had a revelation. Voodoo was key to whatever he decided to do next. And while he was living in rural Haiti helping people with their medical issues, Duvalier also learned more about the grievances of the black majority population. Despite being the minority, the mulattoes were the ruling class while overwhelmingly a vast majority of the country was black.
0: Yeah, so after the French left, the mulattoes took over, and they were the ruling class, dominating Haiti politically, socially, culturally, in all the ways, and they kept the country in a de facto state of apartheid, where entire parts of the capital, Port-au-Prince, were off-limits to the black Haitians, and this separation wasn't isolated to the rural working class composed of entirely black people that Duvalier treated for yours, for example. No, this was happening, it was a generalized phenomenon in all of Haiti.
1: While he was still a young doctor helping people, Papadoc Duvalier adopted Noir Nationalism, an ideology that was very popular back then. Noir Nationalism is a political and cultural movement based on the idea that the main problem in Haiti was the rule of the minority mulatto ruling class and how this group had used the state to oppress the black majority and to maintain their own power. As this movement gained in popularity, it ultimately led to the election of President Dumarsé Estimé, In 1946, Estimé happened to be a very good friend of François Duvalier.
0: Right, and it was at this point that Duvalier dipped his toe in the world of politics for the first time and became Minister for Health under President Estimé. But as expected, his incipient political career didn't last too long, because if there's one thing Haiti did best, it was overthrowing its leaders.
1: Former president Jean-Jacques Dessalines, for example, was assassinated, dismembered, and fed to the pigs in the Port-au-Prince government square in 1806. In fact, and this is a shocking statistic, but between 1843 and 1950, 80 had 22 heads of state. Only one of them finished his entire term in office.
0: So when President Estime was overthrown by a military junta in 1950, Papa Doc went into hiding and he used this time to kind of like brush up on his political knowledge by studying Mao, Marx, and of course, Niccolo Machiavelli. The
1: three M's <laughs> of building your own dictatorship. <laughs>
0: Yes, I mean look, there's nothing wrong with reading Marx or Mao. Professors do, politicians do. It's mandatory reading in political studies and so on. For example, Machiavelli's Il Principe, The Prince, is one of my favorite books. So.
1: <laughs> ah, that's why you like to torture me with the editing of the sound. <laughs>
0: don't tempt me because you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on a serious note, though, the prince is one of the first works of political philosophy and diplomacy, and the prince was Cesare Borgia, in reality, son of the Borgia pope, and although Cesare Borgia's father gave him the power to set up, Cesare ruled the Romagna with skill and tact for the most part, and the Borgia dynasty lives to this day. One of them was actually president in Ecuador in 1992. I mean, I'm obsessed with this family, but that's for another
1: episode. (laughs) All right, for another episode so duvalier was in hiding but he didn't have to hide for long because the new president was overthrown too in a military coup in 1956 go figure (laughs) at this point it looked like civil war was on the horizon so francois duvalier decided that now was the time to take action as elections were called he announced he'd run for president as a representative of the poor and black majority of haiti
0: And on September 22nd, Francois Duvalier aka Papadoc won the election in a landslide victory.
1: And for the first time in a long time, Haitians were hopeful again. Papadoc was beloved, respected and he was seen as an educated man who could modernize Haiti. Because of his altruistic actions in the past, where he wandered through the rural areas of the country with his penicillin and stethoscope, he also understood the people, their beliefs, their needs. He was perceived as a savior of Haiti at this point.
0: But as you might have suspected, Duvalier just used all that knowledge to exploit the poor by using their superstitions and voodoo beliefs. And he did so to consolidate wealth and power for himself and his close circle, his inner circle, while bleeding the country dry.
1: Duvalier knew that to survive his term in office and avoid being assassinated or overthrown like his predecessors, the only way to lead was by fear absolute fear and cruelty and because the military were the ones who always had control over who's the next president as they were part of the previous coups duvalier started there he reformed the army he fired all of the top military people and replaced them with his own guys who in the end wouldn't be spared either because as time went by duvalier carried out purge after purge getting rid of everyone he thought was not loyal enough
0: Yes, and his goal was to keep all these people on their toes so that they'd never feel secure with their positions in the government, army, and so on, and he would also have them snitch on each other, because look, if they're constantly afraid in this atmosphere of untrust, they're not going to plot a coup, because you need people to trust each other for them to be able to plot
1: a coup. Exactly, but very soon after Duvalier's inauguration, there was a mini coup attempt led by eight former army leaders who'd just been fired and they started shooting at his palace. But Duvalier squashed this mini coup before it even started. Still, the incident magnified Duvalier's paranoia tenfold. So thinking that reforming the army wasn't enough, he created the Tonton Makut.
0: Tonton means uncle in French. It's kind of like baby talk for uncle. The name was inspired by Haitian folklore, and it refers to a bogeyman uncle gunny sack. So like a spirit guy with a sack uh, and he kidnaps and puts bad kids and bad people in the sack and then he eats them.
1: (laughs) So the Tonton Makut were basically his own army, a mixture of secret police, gang members and fascist militia members. Literally, if the Stasi and the NKVD and the bogeyman would have a child, That's the Tonton (laughs) Makut.
0: That's the best description of the Makuts I've ever heard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, the name was terrifying for the Haitian people, and it wasn't a coincidence. The first wave of this new presidential army came from the prisons and slums. So the Tonton Makut were former convicts, murderers, rapists, and the worst of the worst. Duvalier basically created a Haitian Wagner group... With sunglasses, as the Makuts always wore their cool shades.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and this militia soon outnumbered the army and when Duvalier recruited these murderers and rapists and scum of the earth, he gave them carte blanche to do whatever they want. Rob, torture, kill, anything, as long as they are loyal to him.
1: The Makoot were scary. They sometimes painted their faces in terrifying patterns and always, always wore their sunglasses. As we said, they grew bigger than the official Haitian military and it is not cheap to support a personal militia of that size, but as any good dictator does, Duvalier made it work. Yes. (laughs) He was soon enough spending 50% of the government's budget on the Makouts. In the meantime, 90% of the population remained illiterate, hungry, and in abject poverty. Furthermore, to finance the Makouts, Duvalier raised taxes, consistently pillaging and extracting as much money as he could out of the state out of the Haitian people he pretended he was going to represent. Still, that wasn't enough.
0: Nope, it never is with dictators, is it? I mean, Duvalier needed more cash, much more to keep himself in power and fund his militia. Reluctantly, he had to come to terms with the idea that the only place he could turn to was the country he hated the most, the United States of America.
1: And he gets lucky because the Bay of Pigs happens, then Kennedy, who disliked Duvalier, gets assassinated. But that's a bit later in our story.
0: So, in 1959, Castro won his communist revolution in Cuba. Obviously, the United States was horrified. We also had containment as foreign policy still at the time, and the idea was to stop the spread of communism. So Duvalier, after Castro came to power in Cuba, pretty much blackmailed the United States by saying, look, as of now, Haiti is not communist, but you know what could totally and definitely and surely keep us away from borrowing money from Cuba and maybe embrace communism? You giving us more money instead. And it worked! The US, <laughs> the US gave him millions and millions of dollars in aid. And speaking of aid, let's remind our listeners about our ad-free content. We're not the Makuts, but we'd really appreciate your support, do you be friends. <laughs>
1: Yes, our listeners can claim all our episodes ad-free if they become patrons.
0: Yes, you be friends. As you know, we are an indie podcast. We have no team of editors, no sound designers, no researchers, and so on. It's just us two doing our best every week to create the best content we can in our free time on nights and weekends, sometimes even during work hours. (laughs) (laughs) Shh, Sandra. (laughs) What? It's true.
1: (laughs) Hopefully we won't get fired from our day jobs because you broke the news.
0: Shh. Okay, let's go on. You're right. Move on.
1: So, if you want to support us, please become a patron on dubiouspod.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in. It's cheaper than a fancy tea.
0: Right. That's it. That's our little announcement. I always feel weird asking people to become patrons or for anything in general.
1: <laughs> well, that's why we're never going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Same. also bite your tongue i still have hope okay about being rich because i want to build like a massive sanctuary for rehabilitating wild animals and all animals pets too and I want my personal militia of activists and marine biologists and so on. And they would go to places like SeaWorld, you know, who use captive orcas and dolphins for profit. And my militia would take all these poor animals and kidnap them, if the abuser don't accept money, and take them to my aquatic sanctuary. And this would be like an in-ocean sanctuary, right? Like hundreds and hundreds of miles of water. And there, all the orcas and dolphins would be happy, fed, and free. I mean, much freer than in a tiny pool, because we can't let them be completely free at first, because they wouldn't know how to survive I mean on their own after life in captivity so yeah they need to relearn I have a whole plan
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay I think we're done with the dolphins we've got a story to tell here what's crazy is that despite knowing what the Makut are and what they do the US not only sent huge sums of money to Duvalier they even sent the marines to train the Tonton Makuts this was a massive win for Duvalier and it really helped strengthen his grip and his control of Haiti
0: So far, this story is anchored in reality. We have an all-powerful dictator with a massive personal militia. It's textbook to regime. But Duvalier had a secret. He had diabetes. And on May 24, 1959, out of the blue, while in his office, he collapsed. His right-hand man saved his life by giving him a glucose shot. Unfortunately.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, Duvalier spent nine hours in a coma. His inner circle knew that this must remain a secret. Nobody could know that their dear leader was so susceptible to a disease, just like any regular person. So he was flown to Cuba for treatment to ensure that nobody in Haiti finds out about the incident. He was treated at Guantanamo by American doctors. The U.S. government facilitated the whole thing.
0: Yes, and when Yuvalier regained consciousness, he was a changed man. Not for the better, something happened, like a switch went off in his brain. He went from cruel to demonic, I don't know. Some speculated that it is possible he had brain damage from the fact that he lacked oxygen for a few minutes when he collapsed. It's unclear, but he was more evil than even before, and his voodoo predilection grew exponentially.
1: He was delusional, let's just call it what it is that or a very good actor. He started to refer to himself as a powerful voodoo loi. This is one of the spirits that we told you about earlier. And Papadoc Duvalier didn't pick a random loi. He chose to present himself as the reincarnation of the most terrifying of all spirits, Baron Samdi.
0: Baron Samdi, master of the dead and ruler of the underworld, is often depicted as wearing a black top hat and a black tailcoat.
1: After his coma, Duvalier even started speaking in a low-pitched nasal kind of voice, trying to be and sound like what Haitians imagine Baron Samdi would sound like.
0: <laughs> that was so good. Tyler, you're great at this. And then Papa Doc Duvalier fully leaned into this role-play situation. We're talking torture and he used the Makut to do his bidding of course because they were extremely violent and enjoyed being violent too so Duvalier built a torture chamber right outside the presidential apartment. Insanity!
1: (laughs) I read the apartment actually shared a wall with the torture chamber so that Duvalier could hear the agonizing screams of his victims. He also liked to watch the Makut carrying out the mangled bodies from the plushy comfort of his armchair. Many of these state-sanctioned Makut sadists became wealthy and infamous. Remember, they were given permission to do whatever they wanted. One of them, Luckner Cambron, is known as the Vampire of the Caribbean because he had a very profitable side hustle of selling Haitian bodies, body parts, and blood to medical schools and research departments in the United States.
0: And the United States pretended we didn't know where these bodies came from. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally.
1: Naturally. So, time for the next move in the dictator's textbook. In 1961, Duvalier overturned the Haitian constitution. Previously, each president could only have one single term in office, but Duvalier wasn't going to let that happen to him. In the 1961 election, there was only one name on the ballot, François Duvalier. Papadoc won by 1.3 million votes to zero. (laughs)
0: like 200 or 2,000 votes there like against him, you know, just for the sake of appearances. (laughs) Zero. Oh my God. So now with the second term ahead of him, Duvalier continued to terrorize and bleed the Haitians dry. Literally.
1: It's important to mention that he doesn't really believe in any of the religious superstitious stuff, but he is using it like all dictators use a religion or similar construction to control the people.
0: Right, I mean, like the Kims in North Korea, the official religion is non-atheist, right? In practice, though, what Kim Il Sung did—Kim uh, Il Sung is like the original Kim, the grandfather of the current Kim. So what he did is mix Confucianism with the cult of personality and a splash of Christian symbolism too, and use this mix to control and manipulate his people. Story goes that when he was born atop Mount Pektu, the mythical birthplace of Korea, a new star appeared in the sky—the brightest one, of course. I mean, this is Christian. Symbolism, the Star of Bethlehem. Also, the birds started singing. I think there was a rainbow in the story as well. I mean, some nearby shepherds came. The point is, the Kims use religious motifs and build themselves up as demigods.
1: I read somewhere that elderly North Koreans didn't even believe that Kim Il sung pooped, like at all, <laughs> because he was so holy and godlike that he was above pooping. His body was not of the physical realm. Anyway. His birthday is North Korea's biggest holiday, the Day of the Shining Star.
0: Oh, and his son, Kim Jong-il, was born Yuri Irsenovich Kim in Siberia. So, <laughs> look, Yuvalier, just like the Kims were inspired by Soviet Communists, used voodoo and Christianity too to oppress and manipulate his people.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't believe any of it, but he utilizes it. That's what got him into power. He also understands, hey, it's a 90% black majority country. I just need to say this stuff, act like I believe what I'm preaching, kind of like Trump and the evangelicals. (laughs) He's using them and he's saying what they want to hear. Anyway, with Duvalier, I think his only true ideology was noir nationalism, but above all, money.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, it's just money. I think it's greed. This was beyond an extractive system. It was a mobster-led state, and it's now a failed state. It was a kleptocracy. This wasn't necessarily ideology-based. It was all for money. And about extractive systems, I'd recommend Why Nations Fail, extraordinary book by Daron Acemoglu and James A. Robinson. No, they're not sponsors or anything. It's just a great book that I read. And I, I don't know, it sounds academic and stuff, but it's not. I loved it.
1: You know what the kleptocracy part reminded me of? President Mobutu of Congo, a developing and frankly struggling African country where everyone was playing the lottery as it was a huge prize and guess who won?
0: President Mobutu? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously he rigged the lottery system, right?
1: Yep. Just like Papa Doc, Mobutu preyed on his people and got himself rich while everyone else was starving. But let's see, what happened next in Haiti? What did Duvalier and his sunglasses militia do next?
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.
1: You know what I always say, right? You can't ignore your trauma and hope it disappears. The only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us.
0: Fireballs, spitballs, too many balls. And when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, you be friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer, been using their services since way before we even started this podcast.
1: I can attest to the fact that Sandra is now, let's say a much lovelier person to be around.
0: (laughs) Oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. (laughs) With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues.
1: If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious.
0: Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you.
1: Visit betterhelp.com dubious to get 10% off your first month or click the link in the episode notes.
0: That's betterhelp.com help, slash dubious. Duvalier, more paranoid by the day, continued to stay locked in his palace, taking baths with his top hat on and talking to the severed heads of his enemies, allegedly, all while the Tonton Makut pillaged and raped their way throughout the country.
1: On the very few occasions he ventured outside the palace walls, he had tons of armed bodyguards.
0: I saw a documentary called Evolution of Evil about Papa Dog Duvalier, and they were showing him throwing money from his car window as he drove through the streets of his starving country, and as the people chased the banknotes, Duvalier would like comfort himself and convince himself that his people love him. I mean, they also fear him, but basically they love him, and it was so disturbing to watch this Poor people like Shoeless running after that car just to get like a banknote or two and ah, he was so depraved by this point,
1: it's just disturbing. But his paranoia was not entirely unjustified. I personally think he knew just how much suffering he was inflicting and he knew that at some point somebody was gonna try to fight back. On April 26, 1963, a lone sniper fired at Duvalier's children. Their Chauffeur was killed, and one of the bodyguards too, but the kids were fine, unharmed.
0: Papadoc Duvalier was apoplectic, livid. He ordered the Tonton Makut to get to the bottom of this, so they accused former army officer François Benoit, who was an elite marksman who had been let go from the army when Duvalier first came to power. François Benoit wasn't actually the gunman, nor was he involved in any way with this attempt to kill or kidnap the Duvalier kids. But the Tonton Makut went after him anyway. Benoit, who knew that his life was at risk and had already applied for and was given asylum with the Dominican Republic long before the situation occurred, now he heard the news and he realized that, look, the Makut are after me. I need to run to the Dominican Republic embassy. So he did.
1: But he wasn't safe, not even inside the embassy, which is practically the territory of another country and completely off limits to host country officials. The Makut entered the Dominican Republic embassy searching for him. Can you imagine sending the military into a foreign country's embassy? That is legally an act of war. But Duvalier didn't give a single f***. (laughs) But (laughs) Benoit wasn't there. He'd secretly been taken to the ambassador's home, so he was still alive.
0: But his family was in mortal danger. Benoit's wife, their infant son, and her family. His father, too had all been at the church that day, and when they got home, the Makut were waiting. They shot and killed every person they found in the house, and then burned the place to the ground. They only spared the newborn's life, and took him with them. Over the next few hours, hundreds more people in Benoit's village were brutally murdered. Duvalier's death squad had no specific target in mind. The bodies of their victims were like left to rot in the streets afterwards.
1: They even targeted animals, not even pets were safe. Mm. When the chaos had started, some of the Makuts saw a black puppy running, trying to escape all this insanity, and it was decided that this dog must have been Benoit, or an incarnation of Benoit because Duvalier thought Benoit was some kind of shapeshifter.
0: I don't even want to hear this. I can't deal with it if they hurt animals. Myori is a black chunky pop so.
1: I know, but we have to say what happened because it's part of the story. Duvalier ordered the killing of any and all black dogs that anybody could find.
0: You could have skipped that part. It wasn't essential to the story. And you said I torture you with the editing. Who's torturing who here? <laughs>
1: fine, fine. All the black dogs in Haiti escaped the Makut and lived happily ever after on a nearby island called Cute Puppy Island, where they found a loving home with people who loved them and gave them treatos and they splashed on the beach.
0: Thank you, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, whilst horror was unfolding in the city, back at the presidential palace, it's rumored that Benoit's infant baby boy was brought to Duvalier. No one knows exactly what happened to that baby to this day. Duvalier took him to the presidential apartment and that's all we know. Some say he had the child tortured. Some say he ate the baby's still beating heart to gain even more dark magic powers. I don't know. I can see it. I can believe it. He was insane.
1: Oh my gosh. As we said earlier, despite the fact that thousands of people were murdered by Duvalier's militia, the United States had still been giving millions in aid to Haiti. But now JFK was in charge and JFK had enough of Duvalier's criminal regime. He cut all financial support to Haiti and announced he wanted to help those who were looking to bring democracy back to the nation. Duvalier wasn't happy. He knew that his days were numbered. He knew that even he couldn't stand against a US-backed coup.
0: But then on November 22nd, 1963, JFK was assassinated. In Port-au-Prince, Duvalier celebrated and told everyone that he was behind the shooting. He caused it. He claimed that he had put a voodoo curse on Kennedy and that if anyone doubted it, well, they can look at the date that the American president was killed, the 22nd, because 22nd was Duvalier's lucky number, his lucky day, right? He had been elected on September 22nd, inaugurated on October 22nd, and Kennedy had been killed on November 22nd. A lot of people were convinced at this point that standing up to Duvalier, opposing him in any way, means certain death, not just at the hands of the Makut, but also at the ghostly hands of the Loi and Baron Samdi.
1: But now, inspired by Fidel Castro's revolutionary guerrilla war in the Sierra Maestra mountains of Cuba and subsequent victory, 13 young Haitians in New York decided it was time to take action.
0: They called themselves Jeune Haiti, Young Haiti, and most of them uh, had their families slaughtered by Duvalier's Makuts. So, inspired by Castro's success, they thought they would sail down to Haiti and push Duvalier out using similar guerrilla warfare tactics to what Castro did in Cuba. They landed in the summer of 1964, but soon realized that unlike Cuba, Haiti did not have a geography conducive to hiding in the mountains and overthrowing the government i mean there are really no trees so
1: (laughs) yeah there are no woods in haiti the 13 revolutionaries were hunted down one by one by the tonton Makut and they were all killed and then some really psychopathic stuff goes down probably one of the most insane stories we've heard the bloated, rotting body of the leader of the jeune Haiti revolutionaries was placed in an armchair at the international arrival section of Haiti's international airport as a warning to anyone, especially young Haitians living abroad who might even think to overturn or fight against Duvalier.
0: Of course, this mini-revolution attempt only increased Duvalier's paranoia, so next he did what he knew best more and more violence. The Makut located the village in Haiti where the members of the Jeune Haiti were from, and they had family there, so the area was completely destroyed, obliterated, women and children were raped, tortured, and murdered in front of the men who were then killed as well. The violence didn't stop there in that village, the Makut simply decided to just go on with the killing uh, and bloodshed throughout the country for no reason really other than they were psychopaths, and thousands and thousands of Haitians were murdered.
1: It's at this point in time that Duvalier raises himself from mere mortal to omnipotent god-king on earth, basically. In June 1964, Duvalier changed the constitution of Haiti again and made himself president for life. He, of course, said, it is not my desire, but the iron will of the Haitian people who I give no one else to vote for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why give no one else to vote for? I mean, if you're the only option, it's not their will. They have no choice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After a shocking landslide victory, Duvalier gave a speech to the nation in which he publicly proclaimed himself to be an immaterial being and voodoo (laughs) spirits.
0: He's been using voodoo myths and symbolism for years to consolidate power, but this immaterial being announcement is just on another level of crazy, I mean he's saying he's immortal and immaterial in public speeches as president of a country. It's insane. And he made up a story. He was saying that he went to the mountains to a certain cave believed to be home of the powerful dark spirits. According to Duvalier, together with a local voodoo priest, he held a ceremony in that cave, which allowed him to bring those dangerous and malignant demons to come and live in a special room that he had built in the presidential palace.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Duvalier was the king of hospitality. (laughs) (laughs) he told people that those dark spirits were his to control and he could unleash them at any time on anyone who crossed him this situation the speech the spirit room it all fueled more rumors people were saying he was creating zombies from the bodies of his friends and as we mentioned he'd sit in the bath with his top hat on conversing with the decapitated heads of his enemies
0: in fairness we don't know just how much of this is fact and how much is fiction it is entirely possible this is just propaganda because look what he does is he uses democracy to get into power at first then he uses violence and cruelty to consolidate that power and then he uses this mix of religious you know like voodoo and other influences to secure power for life so how much of this is true nobody knows would i put anything past him no, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: By the end of the 60s, Duvalier had completely built his reputation as an immaterial being slash god. As we saw in the intro, he even had the Lord's Prayer rewritten about himself and reinterpreted it. We're going to say it one more time just because it's too good.
0: Can you recite it like you mean it?
1: Okay, I will. <clears throat> Our doc who art in the National Palace for Life... Hallowed be thy name by present and future generations. They will be done in Port-au-Prince as it is in the provinces. Give us this day our new Haiti and forgive not the trespasses of those anti-patriots who daily spit upon our country.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I personally like the part where he added oh, not forgive not the trespasses <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's complete insanity. He also names himself master of the crossroads, the Haitian flood and the man who sees forever. (laughs) So here are the theories. He went mad or he was a con man or both or he had suffered some brain damage from his coma and this behavior had neurological causes.
1: I mean, personally, I think it's con man combined with a sprinkle of neurological issues from the coma. But he was also an evil piece of crap before his coma, so it's kind of just who he was. He loved power, he understood the hold voodoo holds over Haitians, and he used it to his advantage. He never believed in it, but he used it. He knew that the poorest people in this country were illiterate and extremely superstitious, so he took advantage of that and manipulated them. When he ran for president, voodoo priests in Haiti allowed him to use their temples as grassroots campaign headquarters. Right,
0: and remember how we talked about noir nationalism, the belief that black Haitians, not the mulattoes, should be in charge? Well, even Duvalier's strong-willed favorite daughter Marie-Denise fell victim to his fury when she insisted on marrying Lieutenant Colonel Max Dominique, a black man. Despite his public stance that Haiti belonged to the blacks, Papa Doc Duvalier had married a mulatto himself and made it no secret that he wanted his children to follow his example. After Marie-Denise married Max, the man Duvalier hated because he was black just like himself, crazy. Duvalier wanted the couple out of his sight. I mean, he couldn't kill them because, you know, that was his daughter, but he appointed Max as ambassador to Spain just to get rid of them, right? And hours after the couple left Port-au-Prince, Duvalier rounded up 19 of their army officer friends, and after accusing them of plotting against him, he personally led the firing squad that executed
1: them. (laughs) Even the noir nationalism ideology he had was BS, he didn't even believe in that. All he cared about was power and money. The terror Duvalier spread got so deep into people's heads that Haitians refrained from even thinking bad thoughts about him just in case Duvalier would somehow know and punish them.
0: Looking at the entire chronology of this story, I think Papa Doc Duvalier had a god complex. I mean, even the first part of his life as a young doctor when he cured people in rural areas using penicillin, I think even then he was feeding on the praises and the ego-boosting feedback and loved it and wanted more. I mean, psychopaths do and sometimes have been doing selfless acts just to get people's love and trust so that they can later prey on those people.
1: But by the end, by 1970, Duvalier wasn't doing great. He knew he didn't have much time left, he was a doctor after all. So he appointed his eldest son, Jean-Claude, who was just a teenager at the time, as new president of Haiti for life. On the 21st of April in 1971, Papa Doc Duvalier died in his sleep peacefully. At the time of his death, his personal wealth was valued at $150 million, which accounted for a staggering 41.3% of Haiti's entire GDP.
0: Yeah, I mean, if there's a god I have questions, (laughs) like this mother after all the horrific murders he did, dies in peace in his sleep in his warm bed. And then you have three-year-old children with bone cancer, dying in agony, and abused innocent animals suffering. So yeah, I have some questions for this god, who is a male, I assume, because only a guy can f*** things up so bad. (laughs) Okay,
1: as a man, I'm going to push back on this thought. And I can't think of a ruthless woman (laughs) dictator to counter your argument, but still... (laughs) (laughs)
0: See (laughs) Anyway, Jean-Claude was a chunky version of his father, a spoiled brat, a fat playboy basically, and I'm not fat shaming, like I'm a chunk myself, so I can say it. And the Haitian people knew it, right? The new leader was dubbed Baby Doc, and despite being bad at everything, he somehow managed to continue his father's kleptocracy for 15 more years before finally being overthrown.
1: And... That's how the Duvalier dynasty came to an end. But the legacy of violence and bloodshed, the scars they left on Haiti, the complete destruction of the economy, that compounded with Haiti's history, the colonization, the occupation, all this together led to Haiti now on the edge of the abyss.
0: Haiti went from the Pearl of the Antilles, one of the richest, most prosperous lands in the Caribbean, the first ever nation to abolish slavery to a failed state. Sadly, we, the United States, did play a role in this nation's fate as well.
1: That's kind of an understatement. We robbed their banks of all the gold they had. We occupied them for 20 years and exploited the land and the people. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, and now we want to turn our backs on the migrants who are Fleeing Haiti with their babies in their arms and walk hundreds of kilometers on foot through some of the toughest terrain known to man. Anyway, Tyler, what's your dubimeter level for Papa Doc Duvalier and this whole story scale from 1 to 10?
1: You know it's going to be 10 squared, okay? <laughs> it's a completely crazy story. If this never happened and you write the stories in movie script... Nobody would do it because it's too unbelievable.
0: Yes. So we're in agreement. <laughs> Dubimeter level 10 squared. Duby friends, if you like us, please recommend Dubious to your friends and family. Personal recommendations are the best recommendations.
1: And Sandra loves reviews, so we'd love to hear from you.
0: Only if it's five stars with a review. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are at dubious Pod on all social media. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: We love you, Dubi friends. And don't forget, stay Dubious.